life will sometimes make me uncomfortable and I don't have to make that feeling go away. Like I can just let it pass on its own and I don't have to chase it or consume something to make it go away. And so I like that the, the name of this daily reflection is, you know, one of the acronyms, G-O-D, Good Orderly Direction. I've also heard it as a group of drunks or gift of desperation, which was definitely my first G-O-D. You know, that's the God that got me into the program was my gift of desperation. And if I think of aligning myself with my higher power, when it talks about, you know, aligning my will with the will of a higher power, it's like, how do I align myself with the force of good? Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast with your hosts, Michael L. and Lee M. This is a show where we provide experience, strength, and hope through interviews with members of the recovery community. The show is not affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, although you may hear them mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Today on the show, Heidi P. from South Hadley, Massachusetts. She's sharing on the concept of good orderly direction, G-O-D. Before we get to the show... If you're listening on a podcast network that gives you the ability to leave a rating or provide a comment, we'd love to hear from you. We greatly appreciate it. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, good morning, Lee. Good morning, Mike. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. It's March 11th, already into March. What do we got going on today? So today we have with us Heidi P. from South Hadley, Mass., Very excited to hear her share with us on Good Orderly Direction. Terrific. Well, Heidi, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you. Uh, So we start the show by having the guest read the daily reflection for the day. Can Can you start us off? Sure. So today's daily reflection is called Good Orderly Direction. And it reads, it is when we try to make our will conform with God's that we begin to use it rightly. To all of us, this was a most wonderful revelation. Our whole trouble had been the misuse of willpower. We had tried to bombard our problems with it instead of attempting to bring it into agreement with God's intention for us. To make this increasingly possible is the purpose of AA's 12 steps, and step three opens the door. That's from the 12 steps and 12 traditions, page 40. All I have to do is look back at my past to see where my self-will has led me. I just don't know what's best for me, and I believe my higher power does. G-O-D, which I define as good orderly direction, has never let me down, but I have let myself down quite often. Using my self-will in a situation usually has the same result as forcing the wrong piece into a jigsaw puzzle, exhaustion, and frustration. Step three opens the door to the rest of the program. When I ask God for guidance, I know that whatever happens is the best possible situation. Things are exactly as they are supposed to be, even if they aren't what I want or expect. God does do for me what I cannot do for myself, if I let him. Great. Thank you so much for reading. So there's a lot of God in this one. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, some people bristle a little bit at that. How how did you feel about, about all the God in this stuff? Uh, I was definitely one of the people who bristled. I wasn't one of the people who necessarily wanted to run away, but I know that, um, you know, hearing too much talk of God and use of the word God definitely um, is uh, uncomfortable for some people when they come into the rooms. And and, um, I'm glad that I was able to kind of withstand that discomfort to find out that I didn't need to believe in the kind of God I thought I had to believe in as a kid and that I don't have to believe in the same kind of God that either of you do or that anybody listening to this does. You know, I I get to define what God means for me. I don't even have to call it God. 
And so I like that the, the name of this daily reflection is, you know, one of the acronyms, G-O-D, Good Orderly Direction. I've also heard it as a group of drunks or gift of desperation, which was definitely my first G-O-D. You know, that's the God that got me into the program was my gift of desperation. You know, I've come to, to understand having a higher power in a very different way, but um, I'm just thankful that we can, each of us just find whatever works for us and we don't have to use anybody else's God or have a God that's, you know, given to us that we have to, you know, have faith in one specific, uh, you know, set thing. I love that too. I, I mean, I love the freedom associated with that. How long have you been sober, Heidi? Uh, about seven and a half years now. My sobriety date is June 13th, uh, sorry, June 20th of 2013. Okay. And is this your first time getting sober? Yes. Well, you know, yes, in AA, it's my first time getting sober. I had periods of being dry. I had periods of, you know, not drinking, for example, when I was pregnant and periods of not drinking because I was on a health kick or something like that. Um, you know, a, enough to convince myself, like, I can quit whenever I want. Um, but this is the first time I've really been sober. <laughs> and so what's the difference between the times that you just tried on your own and, and now? Um, I would say the times that I uh, abstained in the past were times that I thought like I'll do without alcohol, but I didn't have anything to replace it with. I didn't have any new coping mechanisms. I didn't have uh, like an emotionally healthy way of coping with life. It was, uh, you know, what some people call white knuckling it, like just gripping on to whatever would get me through the day. And, um, and then it was a lot of, you know, living according to my own will, just like uh, the reading talks about today. And the difference now is that AA has given me a way of life, you know, a set of steps, a fellowship, all of that to enable me to cope with life on life's terms, to deal with whatever challenges I face and to do it in a sober way where, you know, at the end of the day, I can say like, hey, I was kind of an adult today. You know, <laughs> I was confronted with some kind of challenge and I responded in a way that I don't feel ashamed about or guilty about or, uh, you know, feel remorse over. So for me, that's a sober way of living. How long did it take you to feel like, feel confidence in this new sober way of living? Oh, how long? You know, I mean, it's been such a gradual process. Um, one of the things I've heard somebody say in one of the meetings I go to is um, compare me to me. And so sometimes if I think like, where was I a year ago? Where was I two years ago, five years ago? I can really see the progress on a daily basis. Sometimes it's hard to see the progress. And I know the first few months of sobriety were so difficult. And it, you know, it definitely took some time to kind of develop coping mechanisms and develop ways of responding to things and to develop the habit of reaching out to other alcoholics to get their suggestions on how to handle things. And um, for me, that's, that's part of what my good orderly direction is. It's like getting suggestions from other people who have gotten through something. And, um, so, you know, it, it's hard to, to know exactly at what point things kind of kicked in, but I'd say, you know, after being sober a few months, I started handling life a little bit better and kind of gradually, um, I've gotten, I guess you could call it more and more sober in the sense of, you know, more, more sane, more, even more, um, serene most of the time, certainly not all of the time. Um, I have three young kids, so I'm definitely not serene all of the time. But um, uh, but yeah, so it, it really was, I, I think, kind of a gradual onset of, of getting this kind of sobriety. Do you feel like the program 
helps you outside the program and the fellowship? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that's great about the fellowship is you get to like try new ways of dealing with life in a very safe environment with other people who are also trying these new ways of dealing with life. Um, so, uh, so you're kind of protected and then you go out into the world and you deal with people who are not sober and who don't have a program and who are still drinking or still acting childishly, no matter what age they are. And, and those are all real tests. And it's like, can I stay sober when somebody out in the general public really pisses me off? You know, can I like maintain level headedness no matter what is going on? And um, now I feel like, yes, most of the time I can, you know, I, I think back to the ways I used to react when, when I was drinking and when I felt like, well, I have to have a drink to deal with this because that thing upset me so much or that person upset me so much. And then in early sobriety, where I didn't necessarily reach for a drink, but I wanted to reach for a drink, but I didn't know how to get through something. And then, you know, thank goodness for the phone that I could just call somebody and say, like, this is what's going on for me. What do I do? Um, And now I feel like um, I've learned how to just be uncomfortable sometimes. Like people will sometimes make me uncomfortable. Life will sometimes make me uncomfortable. And I don't have to make that feeling go away. Like I can just let it pass on its own and I don't have to chase it or consume something to make it go away. I love that. The concept of getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. I want to touch on the, on the GOD thing a little bit more. So you didn't come out and say it, but what does your higher power look like? I mean, you may describe it in many different ways, but what does it look like? For me, it looks like, you know, love and goodness. And if I think of aligning myself with my higher power, when it talks about, you know, aligning my will with the will of a higher power, it's like, how do I align myself with the force of good? How do I align myself with uh, the the kinds of principles I want to live by? And I personally don't have the kind of God or higher power who has a blueprint and everything's laid out for me and I just have to step into it. Now, if anybody has that and that works for them, great, go ahead, use it. If, you know, if that works, use it. That's not how mine work. It just, it's, it's not how my brain works. It's not how my heart works. But when I think about, you know, living according to the principles of the program, being honest, being open, being willing, living by love, living by, you know, a couple of the questions I like to ask myself is, what would I do if I were acting out of love instead of fear? or acting out of faith instead of fear. And the answer to that is usually a sober direction. You know, I'm usually going to act a lot better in the world if I'm living out of love instead of living out of fear. How do you work with women on this issue? Um, I'm sure you find women coming to the program, especially when they're new, struggling with the drama of life that's confronting them head on. How do you support them through that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we <laughs> we all come in with lots of drama. If we didn't have the drama, we wouldn't come in, I think, right? Like, I, I for me, I had to have enough pain, enough drama to actually get me in the door. I, I didn't come in here because that's what I was really hoping and dreaming for my life. When I work with other women, I just share my experience as the best thing I can do and introducing them to other women who can also share their experience. And my experience early on was um, just feeling completely overwhelmed and uh, completely miserable and it was so important to me to see people in the rooms who had long-term sobriety and to see people in the rooms who had some serenity and who looked happy and who were actually living the program. And I thought if it can work for them, 
I'm pretty sure it can work for me. I'm not that exceptional. I like to think of myself as exceptional, right? I think we all do, but I'm not so exceptional that it can't work for me. And so early on, it was so important to me to just like hang on to that hope of if, if I do what they did, I can maybe get what they got. And so I try to share that with, with women I work with who are new, which is just, you know, kind of look around, see who has what you want and try to do what they're doing. And, you know, we, we can use each other as, uh, as role models and as uh, supports. You know, for me, this working the steps really changed my life. And so, you know, I'm a, a big fan of helping people work the steps or helping introduce women to other women who can help them work the steps. Um, you know, when I got my first sponsor, she said, I can do two things for you. I can share my experience and I can guide you through the steps. And so I do the same thing when I sponsor other women. Yeah, the steps helped me accept me, accept myself for who I am. They helped me open up to, to someone in ways that I never had before, like doing the fourth and fifth step. And they helped me to just kind of accept myself as human and as a person who makes mistakes. Uh, I've learned to become compassionate with myself and compassionate toward other people because we just make mistakes. I used to think of myself as a bad person who drank so that I didn't have to think about uh, how much I hated myself, you know, and now I don't have to drink because I don't hate myself. I actually like myself pretty, pretty much um, these days. And, and the steps really enabled that to happen in my life. That's beautiful. So tell me a little bit about how you decipher self-will versus your higher powers will. How do you know where your will comes in and, and what the right use of that will is? Well, that's where I think, first of all, is the power of the pause. Because if I act with my first instinct, most of the time, that's my self-will and not my higher power's will. Although I think that over time, that has shifted where more often now my first instinct is the right one. You know, my, my first instinct very much used to be and can still be if I'm not kind of maintaining um, my program. My first instinct used to be one of like being defensive and uh, ego-based and fear-based and, you know, needing people to see me a certain way and not wanting to admit mistakes. And, um, you know, if somebody says something and my first reaction is something defensive, I know that's my will and not my higher power's will. If my first, you know, reaction is so, you know, I'll, like the other day, some dude really like pissed me off. And my first instinct was to key his car. Now, I didn't, right? Because my higher powers will is not to key somebody's car. <laughs> the power of the pause. <laughs> the power of the pause. It's like, okay, how can I handle this? And then, I, so I have to then kind of go through in my mind, all right, when, when I'm acting like a jerk, what might be going on for me? You know, I might be scared. I might be dealing with something big in my life. There might be, you know, I might just be having a bad day. And then I have to think that that might be true for this person too, right? They might be acting toward me in that certain way, not because of something I even did necessarily, but because they're having a tough day or they're, you know, just in a bad place. And when I can see somebody that way, that's, seeing them through my higher power's eyes. And when I can kind of walk away and not engage in something that gets me really riled up, then that's living according to my higher power's will and not according to mine. I love that story because it just, you know, after so many years of sobriety, 
sometimes the first instinct is still to key the car. Right. <laughs> and that's okay. Like we're human. So we're, we're still going to have these, these feelings or things are going to trigger certain things. But what we have today are tools that enable us to make the right decision and act rightly in the moment rather than actually key the car, which could be a problem. Right. Exactly. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, it definitely is um, progress and not per- perfection. Right. And so it's like, I'm not free of all these ideas or instincts of, you know, acting badly. It's not that those thoughts never cross my mind anymore. You know, I haven't attained some kind of, you know, nobody I know in sobriety has attained any sort of enlightenment that they don't have to deal with these things. So, you know, what I learned by watching other people, and when I first started coming into the rooms and people would say like, oh, I have 20 years, I have 30 years, I thought, I'm going to get it a lot faster than that. I don't know why they're still around, but I'm not going to still be around after 20 or 30 years. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a much quicker learner. But now I see that, you know, life's challenges keep coming and, um, and we have to kind of keep practicing the right way of responding to life. Um, And it's so easy. If I don't keep practicing, it's easy to fall back into the old defaults. And so, um, you know, for me, it's a matter of kind of setting new defaults, like creating new patterns, new ways of living, new habits that are the ways I can, you know, feel proud of and feel, you know, at the end of the day, like I handled life pretty well today and I don't have any regrets or shame or guilt or whatever. And if I do something where I act badly, I do what it says in the 10th step is like, just think about how could I do it differently next time? And, you know, kind of forgive myself and move on instead of just beating myself up and then needing to drink because I hate myself and, you know, that spiral. I'm just taken by the, the serenity like that. I, I, I sense this, this humility and serenity and, um, it's, um, it's attractive to, to a newcomer, right? I can imagine you being attractive to, to someone who comes into a meeting and wants that. And, you know, thinking back when I first got sober, I wanted what you have right now and I want it right now. <laughs> How long, you know, what do you tell someone who says, I, I, I want that? And, and how long do you think that it takes to realistically start to feel and, and gain some of the rewards that you have today? Um, I mean, I guess the first thing, my first response to that was keep doing it until you feel it because you will eventually feel it as long as you keep working the program. And, you know, I, I think the, the amount of time is different for everybody. I know for me, I spent the first three months just crying and going to meetings and crying and going to meetings. And, you know, I found a sponsor and um, actually one of the reasons I asked my first sponsor to be my sponsor was because she had a serenity that was really attractive to me. And I just, I wanted that. I came in anxious and depressed and miserable. And um, I did not want to feel what I was feeling anymore. And, um, and, you know, so, so I asked this, this woman to be my sponsor and, you know, I went to a meeting every day, sometimes two, occasionally even three. Um, You know, so I, I recommend that people do 90 and 90 as I was told to do. 90 meetings in 90 days and um, and to find someone who you think you can trust, who has, the, you know, who's living a way that you want to live and ask them to be your sponsor um, and, you know, go to, go to meetings, read the literature, talk to other alcoholics, um, stay connected to the program, you know, being part of the fellowship. When I first came in and people talked about 
um, how they had all these AA friendships. And I, I mean, I was, I'm not free of judgment now, but I was really judgmental when I came in and people would talk about all their AA friendships. And I thought that is so lame. I'm going to keep all my friendships outside AA. You know, I'll use AA to get sober, but I'm not going to be one of these AA people with AA friends. That has really changed for me. I still have outside friendships too, but I have some like really deep and meaningful friendships in AA. And so, you know, being able to to talk to people openly and honestly really allowed kind of let my guard down, let those barriers down that I had constructed um, between myself and other people because I was so afraid to let people know who I really was because I didn't like myself. Why would I think anybody else would like me if they really knew me? You know, so letting other people in the fellowship get to really know me and then feeling embraced by that, that definitely helped me love myself to see that other people could love me like that. You know, so I would say after, you know, three or four months of going through loads and loads of tissues, um, you know, (laughs) things started to get a little bit better. And I remember, I don't know, in a fifth or sixth month, maybe for me, feeling joy for the first time. Like a joy, not because I was doing something fun, not an, like a happy or excited feeling, but actually just like life is good. And it wasn't good at every moment in that, in the, in those, you know, that, that month five or six, it wasn't all the time. It wasn't a lasting thing, but actually feeling that first experience of like, okay, I can, I can do this. Um, you know, I'd say by a year, I started to have some kind of more solid serenity. Again, not all the time, not every day, but um, but I think you know, really getting through that first year for me was so key, um, and getting through those first ninety days that was that was the roughest point for sure. Um, so hang in there for anybody who's new. Like the the other thing that I tell people regularly, and and new people especially that I talk to, is it's normal if it's hard. You know, if it's hard at the beginning, if you're in the beginning of sobriety and it feels really hard you're not doing anything wrong. You know, I think we get this sense that like, oh, it's hard. I must be messing up. It's like, no, if it's hard, it's normal. And just, you know, keep going to meetings, keep talking to people, keep reaching out and it it does get better. So anything else you want to tell the audience before we wrap? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess the, the last thing I would say is just to like, remember that this is a personal program, you know, that, that we get this kind of blueprint, the steps give us a way of making changes in our life that can help us lead a a sober and healthy life. But you don't have to do it exactly the same as anybody else. You don't have to pick a God that's the same as anybody else's God. Um, Just to bring it back to today's topic, you know, just look for people who have what you want and follow suggestions, listen to their experience and keep doing it. and, And life gets better. Beautiful. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Heidi. Yeah. Thank you so much to the both of you. And thanks to you, the listeners. Truly appreciate your support. If you want to find us online, you can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read about recovery on our blog at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. If you're listening on a podcast network that enables you to leave a rating or a comment, we'd love to hear from you. It'll help us improve the show and expand our reach. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day.